right now, it's Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. If you need some encouragement this morning, we've got a new friend who's going to bring it. Michelle Donnelly, she heads up Plus One Parents and is host of the Christian Single Moms podcast. You can find out about Plus One Parents, helping single parents at plusoneparents.org. Tell us just a little bit about yourself and maybe how you encountered Jesus. Yeah, sure. Well, I am a single mom of three, and I lead a ministry for single parents called Plus One Parents. And I always think this question of how I met Jesus is so interesting because I did grow up in church, but did not grow up really understanding what it was to have a relationship with Jesus. I did not understand grace at all. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up very much performing for God and wanting to feel that He would approve of me. And there came a point when I was about 25 years old where I was just battling anxiety endlessly and losing. (laughs) And I just had this realization that everything that I had tried to rest on in my relationship with the Lord in the past wasn't cutting it anymore. And so there was this one night where I just was so racked with doubt and despair. And I just cried out and said, if you are there, I need to know. I need to know that you're there. Mm -hmm. And I just had this overwhelming sense of peace come over me and unexplainable, you know, Mm -hmm. just this warmth that radiated actually from the inside. And it was in that moment that I realized, oh, okay, you hear me? This is the Holy Spirit. This is what this feels like to talk to you and and not to come to you with my either list of complaints or questions or Mm -hmm. with my performing, you know, to come really with where I'm at right now and just knowing so tangibly that you'll meet me there. I can so relate with relating to God based on my performance. And I think that it's something I can still wrestle with, but going forward from there, how did you how did you learn a new way of interacting with God based on His love for you, not on your performance for Him? Well, it just was something that now that you're aware of these performance things, and you know, I think there are different points along our journey where God brings us back around. It feels like perhaps we've made some progress and then we end up feeling like, oh, I'm doing this again, or I've mm-hmm. gone backwards again. It's just God, though, in His kindness pointing out to us, hey, this is a thing you're relying on instead Mm -hmm. of me. From this point of being 25 and continuing on through my journey with him, he just pointed out more and more and more of these things. But he also would invite me into things that seem countercultural. You know, it was I was working at a great corporate job and was climbing the ladder. And he said to me, it is it's time for you to, to go home. You know, it's time for you to raise your children. And that is not <laughs> what our, our culture really promotes. And so it, it's in sometimes these little things, but also in these big leaps of faith, mm. you know, where in that I saw the reasons why later on that he called me to do that. Mm-hmm. And some of those things were preparation for another season that was coming that did involve the breakup of my marriage and that there was so much of a bedrock of his love that I needed underneath me. Mm-hmm. I needed that time to cultivate that prior to stepping into that season so that when that time came, 
I already had this foundation underneath me, though that foundation would be shaken again. Michelle, you're a mom of three. How old are your kids? I have a 13-year-old daughter. I have an 11-year-old son and another daughter who's nearly five. Okay. And you're a single mom. Yes. (laughs) It's a full range. (laughs) Yeah. What are the challenges of single parenting and what have you learned about God in it? When you think about the challenges of single parenting, it's the challenges of parenting by yourself, (laughs) like basically with one arm time behind your back. So all the overwhelming things of having to make sure kids make it to appointments and have to take care of homework. And, you know, for other single parents out there, it's going to be things like even court or, you know, mm-hmm. now struggles of trying to do this thing with someone that is hard to work with. And so there's those overwhelming pieces, but then there's also just this disappointment. I think this is something a lot of parents can relate to, whether you're a single parent or not, but this disappointment of a life if it didn't go the way you thought it was going to go or of parenting that isn't turning out the way Mm -hmm. that you presumed that it would. And there's some shame and some guilt that come with that. There's some even hopelessness maybe. And in these times that are so overwhelming, you know, my son, at one point of this, my kids were mad during this divorce process. Mm -hmm. And during some of this, just developmental changes, but also these emotional things the kids are dealing with, my son started having these really massive tantrums. And I just felt like such a failure as a mom. And I felt like I've doomed him, that Mm -hmm. the choices that I've made, that the trajectory of my life, that oh my goodness, like how, how can I get through this? How is this going to be fixed? And God just spoke so gently to me in that moment, just saying to me, your job is just to love him. You don't need to fix it. And I think that's something that we're prone to as parents anyway, is wanting to take things into our own hands and fix it and solve the problem and all of that. In this, though, the Lord showed me this is what he does for us, that he just meets us where we are at, just loves on us. And in the midst, though, of the things that we can't do for our kids, and there's a lot as a single parent you feel like you can't do for your kids. God is there and he is doing things that we can't even imagine. I think that is such great wisdom to love the person who's hard to love where they're at. Mm -hmm. I talk a lot about my, I've got a suffering friend. He suffered, you know, for decades and that's really what I have learned to do. It never gets easy, but I think we can apply this to relationships that just aren't what they should be. Mm -hmm. Just love. Absolutely. Love people where they're at. That's gold. And the basis of it, too, like you said, Michelle, is because because that's how God loves us. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not that I'm just so adorable that he just loves me so much. You know, there are times when I am just really, really hard to love, but he models for us how to love other people in the way that he loves us. This season may bring, for some person listening right now, more pain than joy and it's not supposed to be that but you can't manufacture that Christmassy feeling Mm. talk about that you know moving into a season that's supposed to be happy but it's actually going to be painful 
Yeah, that's supposed to be. That's such a great phrase that you mm-hmm. just said there, Barry, because that's where we really do get stuck is it's it's one thing for me to be having grief, experience, experience with grief during the holidays. It's another thing to feel like I'm not supposed to be and that nobody else is. And that is so defeating for us. And the first Christmas that I spent without my children, I remember it so vividly because it actually was a very rare white Christmas here in Tennessee. So I woke up and my house was so still and so quiet. There were no presents under the tree. There was no pitter patter of feet. There was none of the, you know, even the things that tend to distract us, you know, when we are in the holiday mode and we might be struggling with our emotions. And I looked outside and there was just this blanket of snow outside. I saw the neighborhood kids playing and I thought of my own children. And I just wept. I just thought, oh, Lord, it's not supposed to be like Mm -hmm. this. Just imagining, you know, my kids having fun in the snow, but that I wasn't with them and all the things that Christmas morning is supposed to be, right? And had been in the past, really. But in that moment, I, I have this corner chair that's my spot with me and the Lord, you know. And I went and sat in my corner chair and strangely... I wanted to listen to Christmas music. As I'm listening to the lyrics of some of these songs, it just starts to wash over me, you know, especially Oh Holy Night, where it's just this weary world rejoicing, you know, but one of the lines that really grabbed me in that is, you know, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And it was like, wow, you know, Jesus didn't come into a world that was supposed to be, you know, that was acting like it was supposed to be, or that was, you know, looking the way it was supposed to be. Jesus came into this broken, Mm -hmm. devastated world to appear and to bring his presence and his comfort and his kindness to us. And so in listening to these lyrics and recognizing that that's where I felt like I was, I'm in this not supposed to be place and I'm in this messed up situation and just recognize that, you know, we don't want to have grief <laughs> the mm-hmm. holidays sometimes, but when we enter it, we recognize that this is where I'm at, though. The Lord steps so tenderly into that with us. He's, he, he knows brokenness. He knows sorrow. The Bible describes Jesus as a man of sorrow. So we have this whole holiday that's sort of concocted around this you know, sometimes over fabricated experience of joy when true joy is to be met in the midst of our circumstances and to know the closeness of the Lord in those times that just don't feel like they're supposed to to us. Yeah, what I hear you saying is that if we're feeling a lot of pain and grief and loneliness and depression and brokenness because we're in this broken world, this season is actually a time to to let Jesus love us where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the stark contrast between the things that have been taken from us or the things that we have lost and then the recognition of the Jesus who can never be taken from us, who we can never lose. Mm-hmm. And there is, though, such a peace and such a joy in the awareness of that, that can actually only come through those broken circumstances. Tell us what you've learned about discerning safe and unsafe people. Divorce really forces this. And it's not just even 
with an ex-spouse or an ex-partner, whatever the situation is, you know, where there's relational discord. And I think that's the important thing is divorce is, you know, one specific experience with relational discord, but we all have it Mm -hmm. (laughs) in one way or another. And you learn that, though, that in the losing of this relationship, you're also then going to have to analyze your friendships and your other relationships with perhaps family members or your ex's family members and determine which relationships are you supposed to move forward with and which ones were for the season and are gone. And that's difficult. But that, again, is something that all of us confront. And in discerning people who are safe for us or people who are unsafe for us, a lot of it revolves around our needs. And for some of us, this is a foreign concept. A lot of times we've gotten so used to putting our needs aside for the benefit of other people. And there are some things about that that are good and right and have, you know, all sort of wonderful, you know, the understanding of what it is to serve and love one another in in being self-sacrificing. But there also can come a point, though, where we are not expecting mutuality from our relationships, or we are not expecting to have our needs met as well. And that is not the way that God designed our closest relationships. He designed for our relationships to be mutual give and receive. And so safety, a lot of times has to do with, if I have a need, whether that's an emotional need, a physical need, if I have a need, can you meet me there? Can you honor that this is a place where I feel weak? And can you receive me? And can you meet me where I'm at? And again, this is something that the Lord models for us in our relationship with Him. And so as we as, you know, the body of Christ and the community of believers work together through our lives, these are the ways that we serve as the hands and feet to one another. And so if you are in relationship with someone who is not able to do that, that is unwilling to do that, is dismissive perhaps in doing that, that's a good indication that this person is not comfortable, not able, not willing to meet you where you are at, to extend the grace that you need, and to, to walk in mutuality. I want to get into the story about the you got out of an unhealthy marriage and then you continued to date unhealthy people and how you mm-hmm. learned about your own self. Yeah. So when you get divorced, you would think like, okay, I've learned my lesson from this relationship, so I'm not going to repeat it again. Yeah. <laughs> and in my case, that did not happen. <laughs> I went on after this to date a series of men that were very similar in the ways that they treated me. And while this was better than what I had experienced in my marriage, it was still not healthy. It was still not good. And the thing that really was missing here was this expectation of mutuality. Mm -hmm. And that was causing me then to settle for relationships that were not a good fit for me. In the midst of this, though, and I had a counselor at the time that I was processing through some of these things with, and she would ask me these questions, and I started to realize, like, hmm, 
I think the common denominator in a lot of the relational pain I've had in my life is me. <laughs> There's got to be something <laughs> when I'm looking at the, the whole sequence of my life. And I'm talking about like best friends as a kid who, who, you know, stabbed you in the back to these people that I was dating and my divorce and just all of this relational brokenness, understanding that I was not expecting to be treated with respect. Mm. And I was not expecting to have my needs be just as important as the other person's needs. And so then this moved me into an understanding of the fact that I am the one then who is responsible for not only advocating for my needs, but for moving into relationships where people can help me with those things and moving away from relationships that don't have mutuality as a feature. And that really, you know, we hear a lot about boundaries, you know, in relationships today. And that really is what relationships need is that standard of mutuality. And that's what boundaries are all about. After your divorce, you were tolerating a lot of bad behavior. What did you come to realize as being the reason for that? I think at the core of this, especially for a lot of us who did grow up in the church, there's a misunderstanding of how scripture guides us in our relationships and what sacrifice looks like in relationships and what it doesn't look like. And one of the things that jumped off of the page to me, you know, as I was reading the word in this really tumultuous time of life was the fact that I was expecting myself to show up in relationships in a way that Jesus did not. And one of the ways that we see this really clearly is actually in Luke 9. And in Luke 9, Jesus is talking to his disciples about going out and ministering to people. And he talks to them in a way that he encourages them to actually go into these environments vulnerable. He tells them, don't take anything with you. Don't take money with you. Go into a town and present your needs to people. And he says, pay attention, though, to how people respond to you. He says, mm -hmm. if people take you in and they meet your needs, that they are willing to listen, he says, go into those places. But he says also, if people then chastise you and they reject you, they harm you, to move away from that situation. The phrasing he uses is to shake the dust off, basically, you know, to keep it moving, really. But that this was how Jesus was teaching us in the situations where we feel vulnerable, where it is wise for us to move in and press into relationships in those places of vulnerability and where it is unwise for us and where we should actually remove ourselves. You know, and maybe right now you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm in a relationship. This person is not good for me. This person is poison. This person is not safe. And I just encourage you to to reach out to somebody for somebody that you trust to move away from that because it's not something you can do on your own. And Michelle would love to help you with this. Michelle Donnelly is who we're chatting with this morning. She's the president and CEO of Plus One Parents. You can connect with her at plusoneparents.org. 
I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about what forgiveness looks like. A lot of times we think forgiveness, or at least I have translated forgiveness to mean, I just throw the door wide open to my life for you, regardless of what you've done to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell us what you've learned about forgiveness. Shauna, that is so the place I come from mm. with this. It is so this sense that like, I should just cover the blanket over it with forgiveness and everything will be okay and we can just keep moving on and it's all great, all good. But this was something that I was doing and it was really harming me. And it was making for relationships that were extremely draining and unhealthy. And one of the ways I started to really learn what forgiveness was, was through the course of my divorce. And I had an anger that I just had never experienced before. We had this three-car garage. We just moved into this new house. And this three-car, third-car garage was full of boxes that had been unpacked but hadn't been broken down. And there were some other odds and ends. You know, there's the boxes in the garage that like never seem to ever get unpacked. And so, you know, there were things that I was trying to go through and there was mementos that I was finding and I was just Mm. angry. I was, I wasn't disassembling these boxes. I was smashing them. I was stomping (laughs) on them. You know, I was trashing these old mementos and I was just so angry. Everybody deals with their anger differently. Rage cleaning apparently is fine. (laughs) But in the midst of this, I was talking with the Lord, you know, and I was like, this is not fair. This is not okay. You know, this covering over that I've done in the past is not going to work in this situation. Mm -hmm. And as I just continued, though, to step into that anger and invite God into it, which was so foreign for me because I wanted to come before God all like cleaned up, you know, Mm -hmm. and this was inviting him into the mess. And it was in this, though, that I began to really understand that God grieved with me too, that God understood Mm -hmm. that I had been wronged Mm -hmm. and that I had done some wrong things. And, you know, where, where it is easier sometimes for us to recognize what we've done wrong and to receive forgiveness from God in that. Sometimes it's hard, but sometimes it can be easier. It, it can be very hard for us to understand what it is to cancel someone else's debt. And understanding, though, that in that, the wrong did not magically become right. That forgiveness was not meaning that this thing was gone. Mm-hmm. It didn't mean that it never happened. It didn't mean that it was right. What it meant was that all of this rage and anger that I was carrying with me, I was saying, I do not want to be the one to avenge this. That as I was reading through Romans 12 at this period of time, it was understanding that so far as it depended on me, for me to be able to continue on, you know, you're having hands-offs with the kids and you still have to see this person. You still have to work with this person. That... The only way I could possibly bring peace into that equation is if I was to choose forgiveness, but understanding that peace was going to be given to me, that in choosing to give this over to God, in choosing to put this in His hands, and that's what Romans 12 talks about. It talks about the fact that you're not to avenge yourself, that God is aware that this wrong thing happened, that the anger that you feel He understands. He's not embarrassed of you or ashamed of you for feeling that anger. 
and that he wants to step into this equation. He is the one to make things right. It's going to happen perhaps in a way that we don't understand and we don't see. It didn't mean that this relationship was going to be fixed. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the thing too, is that we think sometimes forgiveness means, okay, well, that means I go back to trusting you. And that means that everything is reconciled. And that's, that's not what it is at all. Those are separate concepts. Forgiveness is just me dealing with the wrong that has happened in this relationship and me choosing a way of peace. And I can only do that by understanding that the peace that is has afforded to me has come through the cross of Christ, that Jesus brought peace between me and the Lord, where I needed forgiveness in order to be in a right relationship with him. And so I'm coming back to that, the foot of the cross and saying, I want to receive that peace again. And I've, I've received that by being forgiven by you. And so I want to extend forgiveness in this situation. I'm still not able to perhaps be in a relationship with this person. I'm still not able to step into reconciliation, but I can not wish harm on this person. I can Mm -hmm. not seek retaliation. I can not be filled with bitterness and I can go in the way of peace, even if this other person does not want to meet me there because the peace is what's been afforded to me in my relationship with Christ. And I don't want to sacrifice that in favor of seeking my own way of seeing justice for this. And, and that's the hard part is we have to trust what God says in terms of justice for the things that have happened to us and the wrongs that have happened. And it doesn't mean always that it's going to make sense to us. It doesn't mean always that it's going to be that it's going to happen even in our lifetime, but that we understand that God is a good God. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. And that forgiveness is his gift to us to set us free. What I'm hearing is that forgiveness is messy. I think about the cross. The cross was, was ugly, was horrific, was messy. It was a choice by Jesus to go through that. And so forgiveness is hard. And if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with forgiving somebody, we get it. Mm-hmm. We fully get it. And we would love to support you through prayer because we, we need each other in this. So you can text us your prayer request for help to forgive 800-968-8930, 800-968-8930. I wrestled with this a little bit this morning. And, you know, there's the big things where people have hurt us big and we need to forgive them. That's one thing. But I'll tell you what, practicing, <laughs> practicing in the little things is really helpful. You know, and somebody just, just miffs you, you know, and you're just like, okay, I can let this go. I can practice forgiveness in a small way and build up those forgiveness muscles. You're talking about practice? <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about practice. We need to practice forgiveness. We need to practice all the time being like Jesus. Michelle Donnelly is just fantastic. She's got such a cool ministry. She's the president and CEO of Plus One Parents. That's who we're talking to this morning. She also hosts her own podcast. It's called the Christian Single Moms Podcast. And you can connect with Michelle at plusoneparents.org. That's plusoneparents.org. You know, somebody's listening right now, they're divorced, they're a single parent, they feel the shame of being divorced, they feel the stigma of divorce, or just of being a single parent. Maybe they've lost their spouse. What can you say to that person who just feels the shame of being a single parent? You know, Perry, this is something that I didn't even know when I was getting divorced. I did not know what God thought about me. I didn't know what he thought about my situation. 
And I went into the word in this season, just asking God, who do you say that I am? What do you say about this circumstance? Am I still okay with you? Are you okay with me? And really what I went looking for was rules. I went looking for the understanding of when is divorce okay? When is remarriage okay? When, you know, this, that, the other, all these things. And where I went looking for laws, I found love. I found these stories of other single moms. There's stories like Hagar in the book of Genesis, Timothy's mother Eunice in First and Second Timothy, when we also even recognize that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a single mom, that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but she was pregnant, unmarried, and at the foot of the cross, many assume that Joseph had already died and she was a widow. And so this experience with single motherhood, single parenting is all over the Bible. And that means that God sees it. (laughs) It means he understands. It means he knows it's part of our life and life on this side of eternity. You know, these broken circumstances, these things that we didn't think we were going to ever end up in. And we can see, though, how God responds in these situations. God gave Hagar just this most incredible promise that she was going to have more disciples than could be counted. He drew near to her in a time that she had been exiled into the desert after being treated so badly by Sarah. We see that he doesn't shame her for having doubt that she's going to be okay. She's worried that she's in this desert and she and her son are going to die. Mm -hmm. Though she's already been given this promise and God just draws near to her again. He makes himself so present to her and tells her that, that he's there. And she's the one who says, truly, you are the God who sees me. And I think if we look at single parenting, that's probably one of the biggest questions that we have is, God, do you see me? And this is something that I've come to experience in my life. I have seen where checks, you know, just show up in the mailbox. I have seen where meals get brought to my door, you know, where your very basic needs of provision are met just like they're met through these stories in the Bible. Mm. And just recognizing that those stories are our stories too. You know, the Bible has a, a beginning and an end. You have a physical book that you can take with you into a church or anywhere that you might go. But God's story didn't end. He's still writing it. And that these stories are a reflection to us of who God is in our stories. We can see Him moving in these very same ways. And so if you are a single parent, however you got there, whether you were never married, whether you are divorced, whether you're a widow, widower, however it is that you've arrived in this situation, God is not ashamed of you. He's not embarrassed of you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He says that you are beloved and he is so near to the brokenhearted. And if you can just even dare to believe that, he will surprise you with just such an unimaginable sense of His goodness and presence. Thanks so much for listening. Questions or comments? Text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930. 